So hello and welcome today to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. And my guest is here from Israel visiting on Zoom. And his name is Michael Mistrata. He is the CEO of FIRM, which stands for Fellowship of Israel Related Ministries. He was born in Toronto, Canada, and he was raised in the church and received a call later in his life to Israel. And there he met Pastor Wayne Hilston. I think I, I hope I said that right, and um, helped to start FIRM. From starting his own company as a teenager to his 10 years of ministry experience, Michael is an entrepreneur and an innovator who is passionate about seeing ministries in Israel thrive and people come to know Jesus as Messiah or Yeshua. So thank you for being here. And I know that you are passionate about Israel and, and you have your wife is Vanessa. I didn't mention her, but I want to make sure I mentioned her. His wife is the executive director of relationships in firm. And they also have a young son. So welcome today. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Stephanie. So glad to be here joining you. And um, why don't you explain to my audience a little bit about firm and what that is? Yeah, well, I grew up, like you said, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and I uh, grew up in a church that probably loved Israel, but I didn't really get that heart as a, as, a, as a young man and always thought Israel was important, maybe in the future, but didn't really see its importance today. Mm-hmm. And uh, God really changed my heart and uh, captured my heart and felt this call to Israel and it was the last thing I ever imagined. Um, but since coming to Israel and living here and the, uh, God's word opening up, especially Romans 9, 10, 11, seeing uh, this great mystery that we read about that the gospel um, has come to the nations, to the Gentiles with a purpose uh, so as to provoke Israel to jealousy. And it's the nations showing Israel that same mercy they've received that will lead to the day where all of Israel is saved. And so with FIRM, uh, as you said, the Fellowship of Israel-Related Ministries, we really serve a network of about almost 70 different ministries all across the country that are working with everyone from Holocaust survivors to um, women coming off the streets or drug addicts or young adults, planting congregations, discipling people, all uh, in ways to support the local body. And what we, we find is a lot there's a lot of Christians that want to support and love and bless Israel, but they don't know where to start. They don't know who to trust. Um, there's a lot of maybe political ways to, to bless Israel. And then there may be some, some different ways that just don't feel the most trustworthy. And we just wanted to give a trusted gospel-centered way for people uh, to get involved. And so we serve this network and we help to strengthen, uh, unite and resource ministries all across the country, uh, basically find ways of championing them, help the, the leader get healthy and help the organization be healthy in practical ways. And then also help organizations work together. Mm. You know, we're here we're a country of about nine and a half million people. And yet we only have about 30 to 40,000 Jewish believers in Jesus in the country. Wow. Maybe only 5,000 Christian evangelical Arabs. So we're talking about less than a, like a fraction of 1% wow. that are believers. And so we need to work together to really influence and reach our nation. And finally, I want to accelerate what God's called, each of these ministries uniquely to do. And our, our vision, our dream is we're, we're working towards a day where every person in Israel will be transformed by the love of Yeshua mm-hmm. 
And we believe that's not just a vision. That's not just a dream. That's actually a promise Mm -hmm. uh, that God guarantees. And I always think it's great to have an organizational vision that's guaranteed by scripture, backed up by scripture. And at the same time, we have a firm conviction that the nations, the Gentiles are part of provoking Israel to jealousy. And we need to work together to finish the task. And so we want to help Christians to get connected, to learn, um, to understand how Israel and the Jewish people add value to their faith, and also to understand that God's inviting all of us um, into the story. It's not just for one of us, not just for someone who feels called to Israel. If, if, if you're a non-Jewish person that's come to faith in the God of Israel, there actually is a calling um, for us, a part for us to play in the story. We think that's a beautiful thing, and we're just excited to share that. That's awesome. I love that. And I love that that word inviting, because I think it's important to know that we are invited to join and to come alongside and to help because we often think that, well, Israel's on the other side of the country and, you know, they've got themselves, they've got, you know, our country stands with them as the United States. And, but there's really a whole lot more to that. Absolutely. There's so much more. And, and our heart is really to reach um, a next generation with this love. Mm. Um, I think for a generation that, that witnessed 1948, 1967, or they, they saw Israel um, come despite all odds, mm-hmm. um, th- there maybe is more of an intrinsic heart and a love for Israel. Uh, but often I find among a young, uh, uh, my generation, a younger generation, uh, there's not that love. I know that was true for me. I grew up in a church that loved Israel and I didn't, I didn't inherit a love for Israel. Um, and so I think what you're doing is so important because I really believe, uh, people don't, um, people don't have a, a, a hatred for Israel in their heart rather actually on the contrary, it's because the apostle Paul says the reason that we support Israel in, in a practical way is because we've received spiritual truths. And so my question is, well, maybe our problem is that we don't feel like we've received anything from Israel, the, the, the covenants, yeah. the giving of the law and the, and the, the adoption and, and all, all the worship, all, all of this stuff that was promised to Israel and the Jewish people, that the Jewish people preserve. And so if we can just create that connection as you're doing for people to understand the value Israel and the Jewish people add to our faith, I believe that love for Israel and the Jewish people will, will spring up mm-hmm. as we see what we've received spiritually. Wow, that's good. I really love that because I think it, again, so much wisdom and so much truth there that as we get to know and understand the legacy that God left through the, you know, Israel. And, and, you know, I once said something about like when I was writing out my plan and purpose for this blog, I said something about being grafted into the Jewish roots and, and a woman that I um, respect said, how about putting it into Israel's roots? And we're grafted mm. into that tree that represents Israel. And I yeah. thought, oh, yeah, that is that sounds like it's more accurate and a better explanation of what we really are, because this was a yeah. country and a people made and put together and, and brought to Israel. And so it's, it's so yeah. much bigger than just judaism i think it's just it's so much bigger than all of that and there's yeah yeah absolutely absolutely awesome and i just want to give your website so people can check it out it's firmisrael.org and you can um 
read more and you can also find all their um, ministry partners. I saw that there were 53, but you said there were almost 70. Yeah. Yeah. So we, some of them are not public okay. uh, for privacy and security reasons, no, um, but there are 53 that are public. And, you know, there's, again, everyone's passionate about something different. Mm-hmm. So some people might say, man, is anyone working with pro-life ministries in Israel or working with orphans and widows or, or helping disadvantaged youth or well, whatever it may be. And I think that there is a way to connect in a gospel-centered way. And that's the message we're, we're sending is really we're trying to just be a bridge um, of connection to make it easy to say there is a gospel-centered way to be involved. And if you want to be involved, we're making it streamlined. We're making it easy. In fact, if there's a ministry that you feel led to support uh, through firm, 100% of your money is going to that ministry. It doesn't cover our programs or our operations or our salaries or our rent. We, we raise that money privately just because we want to be a blessing uh, to the body here. And we think it's, it's inspiring to see Christians around the world, literally um, over 150 countries around the world that are partnering with gospel-centered local ministries to accelerate the gospel wow. here in the land. Wow. We, 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 we would say the gospel went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And now it's time to bring it back to where it all began. And, and it really, it's happening. Yeah, that's a really good point. And one of my questions was, so from what you say, it sounds like you serve Israel, but but some probably some of your ministry partners serve Jews around the world as well. Yeah, imagine. many, many of the ministry partners also are reaching Jewish people around the world. Yes, so that's great. Because I, I mean, I know Jews for Jesus, they, they have what, I mean, I was a little surprised when I got in touch with them and they, everybody that um, they would say, which missionary do you want to talk to? So they, they're missionaries to the world and yeah, to reach absolutely. the Jewish people, no matter where they are. So, and the one I spoke to was in uh, California, I believe. So he was here in the United States. So very interesting. And the more I learn, I'm just amazed at the the people and the love that people have for Israel. Um, and of course, on the flip side, you know, I've talked to people on the flip side who's like, nah, I just, I don't, we don't need Israel, you know? And so and it's yeah, a shame, yeah. but it it is out there. We have to, I, part of what I want to do is help educate people of why it's important, why this, why we need to understand Israel and God's plan for them and how we're included in all of that. So absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. So, but thank you. I appreciate all of that. And, and, um, and Michael, you also do some speaking. I've seen some videos online of where you have gone to different churches. Um, I think one church that I saw you at was out in California. And, um, and so, and then I, um, I also, I just wanted to bring this up that I had downloaded and document a pdf from your ministry that was called the seven hebrew words that christians let me make sure that's that every christian should know and that's a free download that people can um get and it's put out by firm yeah so we have we have a number of those kind of free downloads and if you if you go to our website like you said firmisrael.org there's a button right at the top learning center. Mm. And on there we have, uh, I, I think hundreds of videos okay. and, uh, at least a couple dozen PDF downloads. So those are all great resources. Mm-hmm. Again, just trying to expose and say, and we know not everyone can come to Israel, costs a lot of money to come to Israel. Sometimes when you come, it's, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Oh, yeah. So just being able to have time to process, learn, hear what's happening in the body locally, but also just see how that affects our faith. Mm. 
uh, that's the connection we're trying to make um, to to people around around the world. And there's lots of ministries and, you know, even churches that are taking groups to Israel. Um, what place would you suggest they visit when they come to Israel? Oh, I love, I love, uh, I love when people come to Israel and I love when people come for the first time because I remember my first time, mm-hmm. uh, when I came and, uh, uh, what one place, it's so hard to nail it down to one place. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is very, very beautiful. I remember the first time I went to the Sea of Galilee, uh, just realizing what does this say about the heart of God mm. that he sent his son to this little, little fisherman town. A uh, little, little, I mean, like if you're in a, I, I don't know, I, I, I spent some time in Texas. I'm like a little, little old hick Texas town. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Not to the religious and the pious and the, the pure and the, and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the pious in Jerusalem. Um, but he sent, he sent most of his ministry happening among the simple, the uneducated, the fishermen. So there's things like that, that just connect in your heart and, um, I, I love, I love Jerusalem, obviously. That's why I moved here. Uh, I just loved it when I first came to Jerusalem. I loved seeing how tense of a city it was. My, my wife, Vanessa does not love the tension, but it's a very tense city, but everyone's tense about God. You know, like when I, when I first moved here, I went to a Hebrew class and we had Muslims and Jews and Christians in the class. And one of the videos that we watched was something about, you know, you know, monkeys having morality, and maybe that proves there's no God. And literally, the class was in an uproar. How can you say there's no God? Of course, there's a God. There's one plus one equal two. There's a God. Like so, everyone agrees there's a God. It's just we disagree on what He's like and what His nature is. And yeah. so, I just I love the energy. Um, but I think one of my favorite. There's so many amazing places, and I I love uh, Jaffa, Jaffa or Joppa and Tel Aviv, and I I love. Uh, uh, Caesarea and Caesarea Philippi is amazing and Jerusalem, the garden tomb it is incredible places. But one that's really special for me is um, the garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love, I love the Mount of Olives. I love all the significance. I mean, this is the place, um, you know, two out of the three times in scripture that we read that Jesus wept, he wept on the Mount of Olives. Uh, once was, you know, he obviously wept over Lazarus, was which is just the mountain behind the Mount, the Mount of Olives in Bethany. Uh, but then he wept um, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he also wept over the city of Jerusalem. Mm. And so, so much significance. He ascended. That's where he's coming back to. It's just a beautiful significance. But the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, what, what blew me away when I started to learn Hebrew is that in Hebrew or Aramaic, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is Gat Shmanim. And Gatshmanim literally means olive press. So this, mm-hmm. you know, when you read the scripture about uh, Jesus and his disciples after the Passover meal crossing the Kidron Valley and coming to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, they, they said there was a garden that was named olive press. Mm-hmm. It was the name of the garden. And obviously we don't maybe press olives in the same way today. We just go to the store and we find extra virgin olive oil. We buy it. Right. But um if you understand how in ancient times, how an olive press worked, um, they would press the olives to extract oil from them. And they would actually, there would be three different presses with increasing intensity each time. And the first press was the extra virgin olive oil press. And that was the, 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 the oil that was used in the temple and for the fine vessels and for uh, the kings. And then the second press uh, was one used by, by, by kind of normal 
normal folk or just everyday um, folk. And then, and then the, the third press, um, again, every time squeezing every ounce, every drop out of the olives would be uh, what they use for candles, et cetera. Mm. But every, every press with increasing intensity. And yet how beautiful when you see that picture compared to what we read in the scripture account, that Jesus, Yeshua, was there in the garden and he, he goes and prays how many times? He goes and prays three times. Yes. And each time with increasing intensity to the mm-hmm. point where he's, which is the point where he's uh, sweating blood. And we see this, this beautiful picture of Yeshua's, you know, bruised for, and crushed for our iniquities and our transgressions as uh, Isaiah 53 um, reads. And so just the, something you would not have seen, uh, but when you're there and you're at the site, you're seeing it and you're hearing the significance, it's just a beautiful, beautiful reality. Wow. That is beautiful because I, um, my, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, my husband is Greek and he is picky about his olive oil. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, we buy that first pressed olive oil, you know, and, um, it's just funny. I mean, but to hear you put it in the, that way, it makes so much sense that, you know, the significance in the Hebrew language and in, in everything God, there's always a deeper layer, a deeper layer to uncover when you're willing to dig and, and understanding, you know, those three presses and then the three times he went and prayed. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. That combination that, you know, putting that together and, um, and I love that, but yeah. So, so, so my wife, Vanessa would say, um, you know, you can, she fell in love with me before she ever visited my hometown, but when she came and visited my hometown, she understood Mm -hmm. me in a much deeper way. And I think it's the same thing um, with Mm -hmm. Yeshua. We can love him. If you never visited Israel, you still have a genuine love of Jesus, but you're able to understand in so much of a richer way. And there's more meaning and more depth um, as you're able to visit his hometown, his relatives, his, Mm -hmm. his people, what, what, where he walked, what he, what he did and following his footsteps. That's so true. Um, I went once and my husband and I went with the other uh, group and we were, I was supposed to go a second time actually and do a um, educational thing with CMJ Israel and uh, which is close, I guess, to where you are. Yes. And, um, and that got canceled because of COVID, but but the um, amazing thing is I do remember standing and I, I think I was, I think we were in the garden or near the garden of Gethsemane. And, and is it there that you can see like the Western wall? Yeah. Uh, is, you, am you, I right? You can, you can see the Eastern wall of the, of the temple. Eastern. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. The wrong way. No, no, <laughs> but, but you can see the golden gate. I mean, it's, you can see the temple mount yeah. basically. Right. And so, but I remember just thinking, you know, like someone brought up, it's like, here's where Jesus spent this time wrestling in prayer. And it it was probably, you know, so full of spiritual warfare going on in that time that he was praying. But look what he saw from here. You know, he saw that gate that he will enter. And, and, you know, and. And then beyond that was the cross, right? On on the other side, if yeah, I, yeah, if I yeah. remember my yeah. geography. Yeah. So, um, and so, you know, it's just a beautiful picture of standing there, seeing the eastern gates, and then knowing the cross was beyond that. But and and 
you know, what he saw, what he must have even been thinking in that whole process. It's, it's really, it's very touching and it's, it's, I don't know. I can't describe that. I had a whole range of emotions when I was in Israel, you yeah. know, I mean, there were times when we wept and there were other times when we were just like blown away. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. I can't, you know, yeah, yeah. I, so many things came together for me, for my husband and um, for others who were with us. And so it's, it's a great, um, it's, I highly recommend it. And I think you would too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you, if you can find a way to come, that's, uh, we, we do host tours as well. We have about 30 groups coming next year, but, uh, if if you're an individual and just looking to come on experience, we do something every June called Jerusalem encounter. Uh, you can find out more jerusalemencounter.com. And it just, we want to connect you to the land and the people. And so the, you know, a lot of tours you come on, you don't meet local believers. And so we want you to walk where Jesus walked, but also to meet his, uh, his family members, his kinsmen, um, and to experience that. So if that's something you're looking for, you can check out yeah. the information there. Jerusalem encounter yeah. in June. Well, I wrote that down cause I'm going to remember that. So awesome. Um, one of the things I also wanted to bring up and, um, was the kingdom of God, because this was something that, of course, we very, read very, a very, lot. Sm- very small topic. Very, uh, yes, yes. It won't take long. Will it? <laughs> I want to leave plenty of time for this, but, you know, we read about it in the gospels. And even when, um, you, when you consider, I don't know, when I think of the kingdom of God, I, I kind of combine it with eternity. And so I just, how my mind works. And so you can, you can unpack that too. But, um, but even the, what I've researched on eternity and the way that the Easterner thinks the middle Easterner compared to the Westerner, we have a very different view of what even eternity means. You know, in the West, we tend to see it as something after we die. Um, but that's not how necessarily you have come to understand it there, I would imagine is much different. Yeah. So if you, I, I don't know if those two topics go together, but go ahead and. Yeah. Let me, let me start with, let me start with that. You know, what's interesting versus the Eastern perspective versus the Western perspective. So if you were to ask the average Westerner, ask yourself, you know, what, what is God like? What are some words that you would say? I'll ask you, Stephanie, what are some words you'd say? Yeah, so I guess I would probably say he's, I mean, and things that I even acknowledge when I pray that, you know, he is the almighty, he's omniscient, he is all knowing, but, but he's, he's also compassionate, you yeah. know, I read in, in it. So, but, you know, I think that as a creator, we kind of just get this picture of him as, you know, he's just up there overlooking us, you know? Yeah, that he's that's where he is. He's in in the heaven somewhere and we don't know where. And um, we're just hoping that we're on his good side. So, no, that's great. And and what you use, they're great words. And, you know, you could say God is love as well. God is holy. God mm-hmm. is merciful. God is gracious. Oh, right. Um, so many. So the difference, I would say, is if you say to an Easterner, what is God like? Uh, you might hear, hear terms more like God is my rock. God is my mm. strong tower. God is my shepherd. God is my mm. refuge. God is my shield. Um, right. a- again, it's interesting because when you close your eyes and you try to picture God as love, like, what does that look like? What does that look right. like? 
And, and yet if I, if I close my eyes and try to picture God as my shepherd or God as my fortress or God as my shield, um, there's actual visual image attached. And what exactly. I found, what I've learned learning here, one of the things I said, what I loved about coming to Israel was it took a faith that I thought was a spiritual faith and it made it physical. It made it mm-hmm. physical. And if you re- read the Psalms, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. The, the imagery that's used, it's, it's saying, right. hey, you are the Lord who delivered us with a strong arm and an outstretched hand out of, out of Egypt. Um, I, I, there's, there's these physical acts. It's not just, oh, you saved me from my sin. And again, there's nothing wrong with the spiritual, but, but understanding, recognizing that we don't just serve a God of the abstract, of attributes. All those things are beautiful, but it's a more Greek, a more Western way of thinking. And uh, it's not how most of the Bible is written. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand the Old Testament because we're reading this Eastern book through an Eastern lens. And it's not how we're used to uh, think about imagery, not to mention some of the imagery that was being used was imagery they were familiar with. An olive press. You're like, what's an olive press? I have a garlic press. I don't know. You know, what's an olive press? Um, You know, or a shepherd. I I can kind of Mm -hmm. picture a shepherd, but is that like, is that a real um, so I think that's, that's some of the, the, the distinction, but, but going, going back to the kingdom of God, I think it's so good. Um, it's a great question. You know, the kingdom of God was Jesus's primary message when he was on earth. Um, he began his ministry in Matthew chapter four saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, he taught his followers to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He emphasized mm-hmm. it so strongly on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount of Beatitudes, he said, um, seek first the kingdom of God. You know, most of his parables are teachings that start with the kingdom of God is like, kingdom of God is like a merchant seeking fine pearls or a fisherman uh, who cast his net into the sea. So he, he, he uses this message all the time. It was the way that he talked. It was what he taught about. The good news that he preached was the good news of the kingdom that he was proclaiming. Mm-hmm. And some, so sometimes we think that the kingdom of God begins or began with Jesus and virtually everything we need to know about the kingdom of God can be found in the New Testament because it kind of started at Jesus. And it makes sense because he's the king of the kingdom and he's preaching that it's here now. Why wouldn't we believe that everything that follows is about the kingdom of God, which it is. Mm-hmm. But what, what I believe that is actually happening is it's like, it's like someone walking into a movie halfway through have you ever got gotten to a movie theater late and you missed the intro or maybe even worse you come in halfway through you know you still figure out what the ending is going to be if you come in halfway through you're, you're still going to see the same ending everyone else is going to say but you're not going to understand the motivations of all the characters or why it ended the way that it ended and um, i think this is what happens when we open up our bible two-thirds of the way through and we start uh in matthew in the new testament and we don't go back to where it all uh, began. And it, it, I really believe that it doesn't begin with Jesus' pro- proclamation in Matthew chapter four. I believe it begins much, much earlier. The kingdom of God begins back in the book of Exodus. And it begins mm-hmm. with the people and with the nation of Israel. And so, um, you know, if you go back to Exodus, obviously, you know, just I'll try to give, I don't want to take too much time on this, but I'll try to give a little bit of a picture of just the history of scripture, obviously, uh, we all know our Bibles, but sometimes the Old Testament, we, we dive into these stories and we're not looking at it at a grand 
perspective, mm. a grand narrative. Uh, it's all pointing to Yeshua as the king of the kingdom. And so, you know, we have um, that God, God created a nation from scratch. He didn't recycle an existing nation. He created it from one man, a man named Abraham. He promised he's going to make him a great nation. You know this. And uh, God has been working that plan from the days of Abraham until today. So Abraham will pass that down to Isaac. Isaac passed it down to Jacob. Jacob's name changed to Israel. There was 12 tribes. And because of one of the sons, Joseph, they went into slavery in Egypt. They were in Egypt. Only 70 people going into Egypt. But they were in Egypt 430 years. They're enslaved. God sends Moses. Let my people go. And they come out of Egypt, 3 million people into the desert. They're free in the desert and God appears to them. Now, God's appearing to this. They're not a nation yet. They're a, a 3 million person mass of dysfunctional group of former slaves. Mm-hmm. You know, they're used to living next to the Nile River. Now they're living in the Sinai Desert. Um, and, and it's one of the hottest and driest places on the earth. And we get to Exodus chapter 19. And this is, this is really where I believe the kingdom of God begins. Exodus 19, mm-hmm. um, verses 5 to 6. And God speaks to Israel on Mount Sinai. And he says, makes a covenant with them. And he says, Israel, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What, so what is he saying? We, we hear that, kingdom of priests, holy nations. He's saying, today, I'm becoming your king. That, that's what he's saying. I'm becoming your king. The, the first king of Israel was not King Saul. The first king of Israel was God. He said, you're mm-hmm. going to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Israel accepted him as king. So now this is an important point. Moses was never king. He was always the servant of the Lord or the prophet of the Lord. Um, But God became the king of Israel in the desert. Therefore, Israel became the kingdom of God. And and it really is quite simple. That's become, Israel became the kingdom of God of God. And this is really where, you know, the, the open yeah. credits should roll and the movie's starting and dun, 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 the kingdom of God, it begins, it starts in the desert, it starts with the people. Um, and, and there's two things that God says about this, this kingdom. He says, number one, it should be a holy nation. So it's a fully functioning society. It's not just the spiritual part of our life. Uh, but on top of that, it, he also says that it should be a priestly nation. That um, the, the spirit, it's not just a spiritual role, but an intercessory role. Only one out of the 12 Israelites served a full-time vocational ministry function, the Levites. But he's, he didn't right. say you're supposed to be a priestly tribe. He said you're supposed to be a priestly nation. So he said all of you who are soldiers and marketplace leaders and judges and lawyers and parents, uh, the kingdom of God is the place where God is king, where God's rule and reign and dominion um, it goes forth. It's not merely an experience, um, but it's a fully functioning society under God's rule and reign. And we see that biblical Israel emerges as um, this kingdom of God, God's plan. And we know God has a plan for individuals and God has a plan for families, mm-hmm. but the kingdom of Israel emerges as God's national plan. Now, um, God led them through the wilderness Moses was their prophet. Aaron was a spokesperson, but God was their king. And this also now helps us to understand um, when we get to the days of Samuel, um, what happens. So after Israel enters the promised land, they become complacent. 
They, they they inherit vineyards they didn't plant, wells they didn't dig. They begin to look around at all the other nations and they begin to get jealous. Um, they look at every other nation. They're saying they all have human kings. Like people, wh- like why do we have to be the one nation on the world with an invisible king? Like people come to our border and say, "Take me to your king," and you're like, "What do we do? We can't really show you him." You know, there's a there's an ark of the covenant, but like he's not he's not really there. Right. How embarrassing. Um, and so they went to their spiritual leader at the time. They went to Samuel um, in Shiloh and they said, we want a human king. We want to be like the other nations. And this is what and Samuel immediately says, that's a mistake. First of all, you add a king. First thing they're going to do is they're going to tax you. And then the second thing they're going to do is they're going to take your sons and your daughters and they're going to put them as soldiers in their army. Um, and, and, uh, they insist, they insist that Samuel and Samuel goes to the Lord. And this is, this, this explains this verse. I want to read from first Samuel eight, seven, uh, God says to Samuel, Samuel's so frustrated. And God says, listen to the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being King over them. So the first time that we, as the Jewish people got into the land, we rejected the, the kingdom of God. And so we got human kings. There's six books in the Bible all about the kings of Israel, and they're all worthwhile to read. And there are some great stories there, but I can summarize them very, very quickly. And, and they were they were a disaster. You know, they, they led the nation to civil war. Mm-hmm. The ten tribes of the north split off from the two in the south. Only good king you could say was really David. Uh, he was the only one that united the tribes together. But after him, there, the nations were divided. There was political manipulation and corruption and assass- assassination. Uh, they, they became so weak that they were overcome by their enemies. The 10 tribes in the north basically disappear from our history books. And the two tribes in the south, you know, barely last a little bit longer. And then they're overcome. Um, and, and then the kingdom of earth, uh, the kingdom of God doesn't exist on earth for 70 years. They're in Babylon. Uh, that's why they, we wept in Babylon. Because we had been God's kingdom, the only nation on earth that could say God was our king. And now that was gone. And after 70 years, we returned to the land. Uh, but it wasn't a triumphant return. It was a, a remnant of a remnant. Uh, we were never free again. We were always under the Persians or the Greeks and the Romans. You know, what had become God's kingdom had now become uh, an unimportant third part, third rate vassal state ruled by pagan foreigners. And God didn't speak to them for 400 years. There was no prophetic utterance. There was no visitation. Hundreds of years passed, generations passed. And finally, at long last, there was those who had dwelt in a darkness finally began to see a great light. And a man arose Mm -hmm. in the Galilee uh, with power from God. He could speak a word and the lame would get up and run. He could stretch out his hand and heal the blind. He could walk on the the surface of the water. He can multiply loaves of bread and fishes, uh, but it was more than just miracles. Uh, it was more than just signs and wonders. He was also a teacher. He was also preaching. He was proclaiming. He came with a message. What was he saying? And uh, he said, he was saying, repent Israel for the kingdom of God is here. And now you can hear it. This is, this is where we so often come into the movie. And yet for the children of Israel, when they heard Jesus saying the kingdom of God was here, they were longing. They were craving. They were saying, God, we were in exile 70 years. We had been the kingdom. We lost the kingdom. Uh, we, we, we had these 400 years of silence where we're no longer living under God's rule and reign. And uh, as the book of Isaiah chapter 9 says, those dwelling in the darkness 
a light has dawned. So anyway, I, I just think it's beautiful to see it from that perspective, knowing that oh, yeah. the kingdom of God, it, it Jesus brings it and ushers it in and, and is the king of the kingdom. And it's so important to, uh, to, to value every word he speaks uh, about the nature and the culture of the kingdom, but to understand the history, where it started, uh, how Israel rebelled and lost the kingdom and what it meant um, for, for the kingdom of God to come back through Jesus. Mm, that is such an awesome story. <laughs> you, you did a very good job at uh, that big overview because, boy, that was a lot, but it was full of so much depth. And I appreciate that because I don't even think that I looked at it from way back in in Exodus and, hey, you know, here's God saying, I'm your king and you're going to be my kingdom. And and we see that again in Revelation. You know, he kind of tells the same thing, except it's Yeshua and he's he's talking about being the king. And and um and of course he is. And. I don't know. And I mean, it leaves me speechless to try and even just process all of that because it, there's so much, so much in there and it's very beautiful. Yeah. And I had a question and I'm, and I was thinking, but I got, I got off track, but um, I think, I think the other thing when you brought up a course, of course we can't leave out the new Testament and Yeshua and, and the parables and the stories and everything he did to try and get us to, to understand that the kingdom of God was, I don't know, maybe this is the wrong way to put it, but he was bringing it all back. He was, but now he's inviting these Gentiles to be part of the kingdom of God too. Yeah. And, and then even Peter talks about, you know, he, he reaffirms their kingdom of priests. Yeah. And, um, and now we see him as our high priest as well. I mean, yeah. there's so many, I think the the symbolism and the the depth of exactly who Yeshua was, you know, we see him as king, we see him as a son of the creator, son of God, and then and we see him as king and high priest. And when I did some research on the temple and just even like the altar and the crown, you know, the, the parts of the altar that kind of stick up that they attach the ropes to when they would, I, I assume, when they held the animal tied the animal down i mean yeah he was that he was that passover yeah. lamb he was that sacrifice but yet when i studied the altar he is that altar as well and and there's so many things that we can look at and and see him in it but one of the things i think that the pharisees sometimes get a bad rap um because they were trying to understand who he was but we don't realize that there were many priests and many pharisees that did understand and start to follow yeah absolutely and uh, yeah the the pharisees get a bad rap because jesus said some harsh thing towards the pharisees but the pharisees were actually some of the most devout uh believers in that day many of them genuinely seeking and in fact a lot of scholars would say that based on jesus being in the temple as a 12 year old and like debating with the with, with the, the the scribes and teachers and the pharisees he, he probably would have been kind of accepted in this community as kind of a Pharisee. I'm not, I'm not saying Jesus was a Pharisee, but yes. his faith would be most similar to that. And so it's important. Mm -hmm. to, to, it's, yeah. It's important to realize it's not um, it's sometimes again, it's sometimes some of the, some of his harshness is like someone speaking to their own community, someone criticizing 
their own community for the hypocrisy within, not an outsider saying you're you hypocrites. It's someone on the inside saying mm-hmm. you're hypocrites. So. That's a good point. And because we don't even realize that all the back and forth and the questions is all very Jewish thing as well, yeah, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and I mean, and like I said, I mean, living with a Greek man and having, you know, a Greek family, extended Greek family. I mean, it's like you make a, you can't just make a comment and expect that no one's going to challenge that comment. You know, I, I it's that. like, I understand. Um, what do you mean by that, Stephanie? And um, so where's your proof of that? And I don't think that this meant, you know, and so, oh my goodness, yeah. So it's like, okay, I really didn't mean it that way. I really didn't mean to start a, a big thing, but that was normal. Yeah. And that's what yeah. we see in the Bible. And we kind of look at it as, oh, these people did nothing but argue and fuss with each other, but it's normal. Yeah. It was just it was it was their thing in the way they communicated and um but this was awesome and we're starting to get to the end of our time but um i so appreciate you just unpacking all of this for us but is there anything you wanted to add any last comments that you had or thoughts that you wanted to add about firm or anything else no i i think um i think maybe just the encouragement i would leave everyone is um i always want to say this I, i know sometimes when you get into um, understanding the Jewish roots of our faith, it, it could feel daunting. It could feel a little overwhelming, sometimes a little bit disorienting because it's like, wow, I thought I knew and now it's different. And, and so I just want to you know, reassure everyone, um, our, our faith in Jesus with or without the full color and a full understanding um, is valid. It's valuable. But this journey of knowing him as he is uh, you know he was he is a jewish man he he was born a jewish man he'll he'll be a jewish man yeah when we're with him one day and so th- th- that that adds color and it adds depth and so i i just really believe i remember myself when i started on this journey and it's not like am i the only one who's ever heard this or thought this or believed this um just seeing and trusting the lord to lead us in that journey and as you pray and say god i I want your heart i want to know you as you are i want to know what you're like i want to know um you and what walk in the ways that you walked and learn um from everything and as you mentioned a temple and and and, and help me god and help me in the areas that i'm struggling to even you know focus these these names in hebrew i can't follow along whatever whatever it is so i just i want to i would just encourage everyone i think uh, in that journey, and I really believe God is the one who gives um, us His heart and reveals Himself to us. Um, and obviously, endless, endless depth of the knowledge of God for us to explore. And so, it's so exciting that so many of your listeners are uh, are just kind of joining you on that journey. Amen to all that. That is awesome. And uh, this turned out so well, and I'm so pleased to have you. You're so easy to talk with, and I really appreciate your time. And thank you again. Thanks, Stephanie. It was an honor to be with you. Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at GraftedJewishRT. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.